Welcome to Conversations from the Heart podcast by me, Tambu Thomas. I am an emotional wellbeing coach and founder of the Live360 brand. This is a podcast that speaks to the heart of what it is to be a human being. It's for humans who tend to live in the very tops of their heads, restricting themselves with logic and squashing who they are with who they think they're supposed to be. It's for people who are becoming more and more curious about why they feel so disconnected and frankly frightened of their bodies. Conversations from the Heart is about what's emerging from our innate embodied wisdom. The aim is to be a place of gentle connection where humans can see their humanity in the humanity of what's shared here. In a world full of strategies and systems to impress or garner a particular response, I would like this to be an oasis where we can see, hear and hold each other, human to human, heart to heart. Welcome to the first Conversations from the Heart, Heart Talk, where I have the opportunity to have a heartfelt conversation with a wonderful guest. Conversations from the Heart, Heart Talk, begins with a body scan, and you can join in too, only if it's safe for you to do so. And then the conversation is guided by whatever comes up in the moment for my guest following the body scan. There are no interview questions, no set script, and hardly any editing. Pauses and process time, the things that make us human are deliberately left untouched. In a fast paced world of expeditious efficiency and trying to do things in the shortest time possible, in this podcast, I offer an oasis. An oasis where there is no race to hot takes or intensity. Our conversations take the time they take and my guests and I have space to be our perfectly imperfect human selves. Today, I'm joined by my friend and resplendent human being, Sass Petherick, for my first heart-led conversation. In this conversation, Sass and I talk about sisterhood, discernment, and the precious care friendship and being a friend requires. We talk about the elusive nature of being present and how easily we take it for granted, even though it's all we have. Sass's connection to her heart via our body scan made the preciousness of now even more apparent as she had a serious heart condition a few years ago that could have had a fatal impact. Sass's tender heart reminds her of the importance of being here now, returning whenever she ventures into the past or into the future for too long. We talk about the enforced stillness of the pandemic and lessons thrust upon us by having to sit in our aloneness and begin to claim who we are. Sass also shares why she's excited about this possibility. We also get quite geeky about the academic stuff we love. Here's a little bit about Sass. Sass Petherick is obsessed with helping you heal your self-doubt. She's a master coach and the founder of the Self-Belief School and the Self-Belief Coaching Academy where she teaches evidence-based approaches and proven coaching skills. Sass also hosts the Courage and Spice podcast for humans with self-doubt. You will find Sass on the gram at Sass Petherick and there are links in the show notes. This is a really gentle conversation. I hope it offers you some comfort. So today I am joy. Actually, let's just start all over again. Um, in fact, I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that in. I am absolutely <laughs> delighted to welcome you to the first conversation episode of Conversations from the Heart. And I am joined by the absolutely wonderful, ethereal, yet really earthly, practical yet so spiritual and um uh what's the word I'm looking for here so conceptual and abstract but really practical at the same time Sass Petherick Sass is so many things I don't want to limit you you've heard what I've said in the introduction I don't want to limit you but for me Sass I experience you as being somebody who is so attuned to and so present with who you are 
who you're not, your gifts and utilizing whether it's education, whether it is uh, personal enhancement to come together to form not just a body of work, but a life that really honors who you are and having a real grounded belief in yourself. And, and I don't mean that, yeah, I've got rock solid, hardcore belief. Like, yeah, below the chaos, below all of the stuff, there is this belief. And I just keep fanning the ember of that belief so that it's consistent. Yeah. Wow. Welcome, it's, um So such a joy and pleasure to be with you. And... Um, I feel really moved that that's how you see me, mm. how you experience me. That feels mm. very um, like you see the best parts of me. I mean, there's only best parts. There's only best parts. There's lots of parts, put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> no, honestly, um, so, you know, Sass and I speak via digital waves, via voice note or message on a regular basis. And the generosity in your sharing of whether it's academic stuff or stuff that comes straight from your core, it's so comforting. And it's so, um, ah, it feels like sisterhood. Wow. Yeah, I feel that from you too, Tamu. I mean, man, we see each other in that way. So, um, yeah, and yeah. and it's a. I think I have always had that idea that that's what sisterhood could be like, but the older I get, and maybe the more discerning I am, the more I'm, the rarer that feels. Mm. Like I really recognize that it is quite a precious jewel it's a real precious jewel that requires precious care yeah yeah and I, I don't think I've been very good at that in my life at times um but I'm learning how to step into that like really be the friend that I want to be the colleague that I want to be you know, and I think this work can be so lonely at times. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm realizing that it requires me to to be um, open and available, and you know, be as receptive to that generosity as gener as I am generous. Um, and that is growing me in ways that um, I, is unexpected and so lovely. Yeah. Mm. And you're a huge part of that. Oh, Sass. Always <laughs> flirting with me. Always. Mm, that loneliness. It's like a metaphor because it's, it's not just the work that can feel lonely. Life itself can feel very lonely because we're conditioned for all of this hyper stuff. And all of this hyper stuff prevents us from connecting with ourselves understanding what connection is for ourselves and then sharing that connection with other people or even being clear about what that is so that we can inform people so they can make a choice as to whether or not that is what they're able to match I'm not talking about do exactly but being able to match that level of openness connectedness vulnerability and truth an act of love I think absolutely to allow ourselves to be known right hold that hold that my dear so I'm trying something new I'm trying something that um I hope will create a space for us to meet ourselves where we are um and for us to do that by role modeling that and my desire, not my hope, my desire is that you guys listening in have a moment where you can hear, witness with sound, um, 
the meeting ourselves in truth and being present with whatever emerges at this moment. Um, I hope that this can serve as some kind of template or some kind of role modeling that enables you to begin to open up to yourself so that you can begin to open up to others so that you can begin to open up to life and so that you can begin to opening up to what you create in your life being an expression of love for yourself and for us toxic productivity peeps that includes the way you work so sass i'm going to start us off by inviting you in to body scan with me and then connect with your heart and whatever comes through is where this conversation will go so I invite you to take a look around the room you're in, in the world of somatics, we call this orienting. So orient to the space you're in. And if my sound goes in and out, it's because I'm moving. I am moving my head around. And if you're listening at home and you're not doing anything that requires your full attention, I invite you to join in. If you're driving, just listen. So just register where you are in your room and then allow your eyes to scan what's in front of you and settle on something that captures your attention. So for me, it's an orange pen. For me, it's a brass elephant. <laughs> so allow your eyes to softly gaze at your brass elephant. I'm softly gazing at my orange pen. As you're softly gazing, I invite you to connect with your breath. No need to alter anything, no need to do anything different, just softly gazing and registering, connecting with your breath. And then I ask you to very gently, if it feels good and safe for you to do so, very gently and very slowly allow your eyelids to close. Feel into the breath, the air as it enters your body. Does it feel cool? Does it feel warm, dry or moist? How does the air feel as it enters your body? How far into your body is your air traveling? Just observing your natural rhythm. No need to deepen. And now we turn our attention towards the exhalation. How does the air feel as it's leaving your body? Is it smooth and even? Juddery, bouncy. How far out does the breath travel from your body? See if it's possible to extend the exhalation. Allowing your body's natural detoxification process. Allowing your body to let go just a little bit more. Now I ask you to bring some attention to the beat of your heart. The symbiotic relationship between your breath and your heartbeat. And imagine feeling the beat of your heart throughout your entire body. Your whole body as an expression of your love.
Imagine those heartbeats pulsating down from your heart, down through your midsection, pelvis area, buttocks, thighs, down through your shins and calves, feeling your heartbeat in the soles of your feet. And imagine each beat, whether you can feel it or not, each beat from the soles of your feet, allowing roots to cascade down, connecting with the earth, connecting with our maternal earth energy, traveling through the earth's surface, the mantle, into the beating heart of the earth's core. Your heart, the heart of the earth beating as one. Imagine that warm earth, that loving energy traveling back up through your roots to the soles of your feet, feeling aliveness, vibration, and trusting that even if you're not feeling anything, that means you are feeling. Trusting that that warm earth energy is traveling up through your tops of your feet, calves, shins, traveling up through your knees into your thighs, sitting bones, buttocks, pelvic area, to your soft front. If you're doing any kind of athlete's belly, give yourself the grace of a Buddha's belly. Give your belly space and freedom. Feeling that warm earth energy traveling up your spine, your front, top of your chest and your shoulders. Softening your shoulders, traveling down the length of your arms, to your hands, the palms of your hands and the tips of your fingers. Traveling back up your arms to your throat, to your jaw, warming, softening, freeing, feeling that warm, heartbeat, that warm earth energy traveling up through your face to the crown of your head. Just imagine that warm maternal earth energy softening your scalp, your skull, softening your brain, reminding your brain that it is part of your beautiful body. Inviting your brain to connect with your heart. Experiencing your whole body as the beat of your heart, the beat of the earth's heart. And when you're ready, Take a hand, whichever, ha whichever hand feels good to you. Rest it on your chest, your heart space. Feel into your heart. Feel into what's emerging through your heart. And when you're ready, I invite you to very slowly, very gently open your eyes and invite us in to the conversation from your heart, Sass Pederick. Oh, that's just so lovely. I always resist sitting in my body and being really present. And I'm so glad you invited me in. 
and it makes me think about how presence is so elusive and tangible right yeah. it's like it's all we have is right now mm-hmm. and how easy it is to forget that and to take it for granted and I keep thinking lately and knowing that we were going to have this conversation I've been sort of trying to pay attention to what's like on my heart right now and um my my heart in particular has real significance for me in that my a couple of years ago three years ago my heart stopped Mm -hmm. um and I had a near-death experience and I'm forever changed by that I now have a um what's called an ICD or a pacemaker that regulates my heart and it has a built-in defibrillator so I'm all good um it's a genetic issue but um I'm very conscious in new ways of how we just have now mm-hmm. and having been in that place of sort of wavering on the brink of being alive and not I'm I'm always coming back to that and coming back to that realization of how precious our our very existence actually is and how mm. much bullshit we we allow to get in the way of that yeah um and I think about how so much of the last few years we're recording this in late November in 2001 uh, 21 2021 and how much of the last couple of years has been this kind of global meditation like the stillness of trying to kind of be present with ourselves yeah and how much we've resisted that. I know I have a lot. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that as we're kind of coming to a sort of new phase in the pandemic, that so much of what hasn't been working for us collectively has risen to the surface. Because that's mm. kind of what happens when we get still. It's why so many of us avoid it, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's might be Thomas Aquinas and it might be Pascal I don't know that much but I'm pretty sure that one of those great philosophers said that most of our misery comes from the fact that we can't sit alone in a room and I think all of us have been forced to sit alone in rooms over the last few years and it feels to me like we are collectively asking ourselves some questions around what do we do now why are we pretending that everything's okay when it's not and so we've kind of seen this maybe we have been tapping into that beautiful earth energy of you know we're actually floating through space on this blue ball Mm. and there isn't as far as we know anyone else this planet is so damn precious our presence is so damn precious we have to take care of each other Mm. and so it it's both surprising and not that over the last couple of years all of this stuff is just rising to the surface asking us to pay attention yeah to our climate to the way we treat each other to the way we treat ourselves and um, how all of it comes from all of us just sitting still for a few moments. Mm. So, yeah, that's what's on my heart right now. Thank you so much for sharing that Mm. with me, with us. Um, So much resonance for what you shared and... I looked to my phone because I thought, oh my goodness, I need to, I need to just double check one of Mary Oliver's many beautiful quotes where she asks, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And what you shared brought that to mind immediately, 
when you talked about your heart stopping and needing um, a pacemaker, it's made me think about the pandemic being an being like the whole world's heart stopped for a moment and what you're talking about in terms of what is emerging through what's really really interesting is the way you know this this pandemic has ravaged us it's ravaged the world um it's not something that some people can say, oh, well, look at the bright side. Oh, I'm, I'm grateful this has happened because I'm not grateful that the pandemic has happened. You know, I'm not grateful that it's happened. And yet I believe that it's an opportunity for us to begin to practice the art of being present with and practice the art of allowing the truth to emerge. But we're so resistant because it's so unknown and we don't have the infrastructure to control it, that we would rather try our best to bury what's trying to emerge. And um, Resma Menekum, who is a wonderful, wonderful somatic, um, he's a trauma therapist. He comes from, you know, the somatic lens. And he talks about um, one of the difficulties with culture Um, So he talks about a lot, his work is based around um, anti-racism or uh, somatic abolitionism. And one of the things he talks about a lot is one of the problems with culture and one of the reasons why the culture of white supremacy doesn't change is because real culture emerges. But what we do or what we have um, grown into is having a collection of people and then saying what needs to happen. So we never create systems, structures, cultures, traditions that actually honors the truth of who we are. We create those things to control who we are. Whereas if we allowed ourselves not to be out of control in a way where we're feral and harmful and reckless, but where we could actually connect with the truth of who we are, we could then create systems, structures, et cetera, that honor and support us as to oppressing us. Love that idea. I love what that you're sharing this because the idea of a trauma specialist who works specifically around abolitionism is just, for me, I think one of the things that really excites me about the way our technology is set up is that we get access to share information that we would never have known about mm-hmm. had otherwise. I mean, I grew up with the Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, hello, bloody hell. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, I, I just love that what we are seeing emerge as a lot of like traditional knowledge systems start to break down right we've always turned to authority to tell us what should we think what should we do that's how our culture is set up and as those you know systems are being revealed for the very flawed and human messy places that they have always been Mm -hmm. right everyone is making this up as they go along I think what we're starting to see emerge is one, they're being exposed as having a deep poverty of imagination. And the second thing that's happening is we get to see that actually there are some really interesting, creative, smart thinking that's going on that sits way outside of the normal rules and ideas and social mores that our culture requires Mm. so I'm super excited about the rising up of more and more of us claiming who we are when I think about people of color and trans people and those across the whole LGBTQIA plus rainbow everyone who is two-spirit people, everyone who is saying, hey, there's another 
source of wisdom, source of knowledge, source yeah. of information. There is different ways of looking at our world that we haven't really allowed because we've had this very kind of homogenized, quite restricted and controlled view of what knowledge looks like. Mm -hmm. And now all of these different epistemologies are emerging. And it's like, that's what we need to kind of save us, really. I think it, it's not just representation is important. It might be the thing that actually allows us to survive. Mm -hmm. we, need a, we need a whole new way of managing and being with the complexity of the challenges that we're facing. We, none of us know what it would look like to live in a world where everyone's sovereignty is respected. We've never created that before. No. So we have to imagine it first, and then we all take little steps towards that, and it will be messy and circular and imperfect. That's the point. And we, none of us have lived in a world where we honour Mother Earth, where we honour that we are spiritual beings as much as we are flesh and bones. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we just haven't created that. We haven't seen that. And so we have to imagine it first. And we're not going to be able to imagine that unless we have all of us claiming who we are yeah. and saying, hey, look, I have this really totally divergent, different way of seeing things. Let me, let me tell you about my experience. And that, and that creates this kind of, you know, critical mass of people who are thinking differently, coming up with different ways of innovating. That, that really excites me. That really excites me too. And um, in that, that process of reimagining, for me, helped me to realize that in order, so my 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 thing for 2022 is to be a well-rested woman. And for that being a well-rested woman, uh, for it to enhance my quality of life, people hear that and they think, <coughs> excuse me, people think hear that and they think, well, how do you make money when you're a well-rested woman? How do you live? Um, that's not possible. And what I realized in my own sovereign journey is that for me, it is important to live towards uh, imagined utopian ideal than to live with what we have currently, because this is not set up for me to enjoy my life, to enjoy who I am, to enjoy other people, to enjoy the planet. The, the very controlling systems and um, traditional sources or tra traditional leadership models to traditional thoughts about power is all about power in relation to, as opposed to we are powerful and when we live, when, when we can live in our imagination and create from that place, for me, it looks like realizing that we don't have to be either oaring the way that we're continuously either oaring and that if we accept, like the pandemic has shown us, we don't have control over the things we think we've got control over. So what if the job is making peace with the fact that we don't have control over all the things we think we've got control over and we work on experiencing us ourselves as our safe harbor as our place of safety as our place of certainty not control but the certainty that whatever happens around me if I come back to being present if I connect with my heart if I listen to my gut, if I am able to soothe myself so my brain remembers it's actually part 
of the ecosystem that has come together to create my human vessel, then I will be able to feel safe to explore these ideals. There was a point in time, I'm sure, a pacemaker felt really left field and unrealistic and now it's a normality for many many people um and coming back to being present and connecting with my heart and supporting people to do the same it has helped me realize that there are lots of things that I walk around or I used to walk around believing that's a non-negotiable the only non-negotiable is to continue a practice that allows me to come back to the present, to what's true, to what's emerging, to that felt sense that sometimes can feel incredibly uncomfortable because it's not necessarily that the sensations are uncomfortable. The sensations rouse up memories that are uncomfortable. When I bring myself back to my heart, when I bring myself back to being present, I'm able to have a little bit of separation between the memory that has been evoked by that felt sense and detach it so that felt sense can be here in this moment rather than dragging the past to squash down the present so I'm then using the past to predict what's going to happen in the future and um, using anxiety as a productivity tool. Oh my goodness, I, I so relate to this, Tammy, because I think I've spent most of my adult life trying to not feel things, Hello. right? <laughs> like, um, and I know you and I sort of shared um, privately some of our like just shared experiences and what we've been through as kids and things like that and how much we have in common is crazy <laughs> um, but I think having grown up in a home that was kind of chaotic and I didn't really ever have a safe place I sort of had to learn how to be my own safe place but I didn't have the conscious awareness that and I was far too bloody young to have to kind of take on that responsibility. So I kind of became a little adult at a very young age, but I, I knew I had to rely on myself. So I became very self-reliant very early, but I didn't really know how to create safety for myself. So I've kind of grown up thinking, oh, I've got my own back when actually... Oh. That wasn't, but that still didn't feel safe to me. It just mm -mm. felt like, oh shit, it's all on me. Yeah. So, you know, avoidant kind of attachment style when I'm under stress, it's like a characteristic of many of my relationships up until I really understood what attachment is all about. Um, being hyper self-reliant, trusting myself to get shit loads done and really like, you know, pull it out of the bag, which was highly rewarded in my, you know, previous career. And then, and then at some point you kind of go, oh, this is exhausting. So I love this idea of you becoming a well-rested woman, because I think in our binary world, we automatically go, oh, well, I'm just picturing Tamu lying on a chaise lounge and eating grapes all day, right? Yeah, and being lazy. <laughs> lazy is the opposite of of productivity right mm -hmm. and actually it's not well rested is something altogether different it's so it's being able to be well rested is one of the ultimate markers of safety and in a culture of toxic productivity expeditious efficiency it feels unsafe to rest. And it, what you were saying just now about your childhood, it's, it's made me just to think, it's so interesting to me that everything I was celebrated for as a child, as a youth, as a young adult, are all the things that oppressed me the most. Our survival strategies become our kind of, we, we just think, oh, that's who I am. 
right? I'm the person who gets this done and I'm super self-reliant and I'm the safe pair of hands. If every employer I ever worked for always said that you're such a safe pair of hands. I know I can rely on you. And what that basically meant was, you know, when it all goes horribly wrong, I'm going to give you that poison chalice because yeah. I can't deal with it. But somehow you seem to be able to make sense of this. Um, not really knowing. And because I was quite shut off from those feelings and emotions, wanting to have that validation and not really being able to tune in to how completely chaotic my nervous system was responding to all of that. And it's so interesting to me that now I can really notice like when I don't have a whole lot of stuff in my calendar, which I'm actively as a fellow attempting at being a well-rested <laughs> woman, um, really noticing that when I actually decide, oh, I'm, I just don't need to be completely over um, working, right? I don't need to overgive. I don't need to overwork that kind of over-functioning mm -hmm. I can give myself a break from for a, for most of this year as I've been really actively trying to practice this it's felt like something's wrong if there isn't a lot in my calendar if I have all these kind of spaces um, even yesterday I noticed I, I bought myself um, a book I like to read kind of like non-fiction stuff during the day mm -hmm. and fiction is for evening rest time and I thought oh I'll light the fire and I'll read my book in front of the fire that will be amazing and my husband who's been working from home for the last 80 squillion years um, <laughs> is on like you know conference call after conference call after conference call you know his his um he works in IT and it's very much like basically let's just squeeze every last drop of energy out of you every day and I'm listening to him kind of in this endless kind of loop of zoom calls and all I felt was guilty I had to, I had to actually go upstairs and read my book somewhere else because I just thought oh it's not fair that I'm getting to kind of do this in a restful way I had to really talk myself both out of the room and then back into the room it's okay for me to be here and for this to be restful yes man that makes me think about why our environment is so important because if you are in an environment where that sort of thing is frowned upon or you've come from that environment it is so so difficult to actually trust the systems and structures you've created to be the well-rested person. Like I, I talk about it often. Um, I've got a pink chair. I like to sit at that pink chair by my window, looking at my beautiful tree. And that is where I just feel able to be present or away in my imagination, not doing anything particularly productive, but it took a good six months of sitting in that chair whether it was with a book, personal development, professional development, fiction, every time my daughter would walk past or come in, I would kind of like jump up. Like I'm, it's, it's the middle of the day. I'm not supposed to be, an, um, like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be, what kind of role model am I, am I being? What is she seeing? And then I thought, well, actually, yeah, what kind of role model am I being? Because the role modeling I had is a mum that massively overfunctioned, and the bit I didn't pick up was because she really had to. She really had to. But I thought that was normal. She probably thought that was normal. There was no one to tell me that I didn't need to overfunction in that way. Who even knew what overfunctioning was? Right. I, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? That we we actually end those generational stories. Yeah. When and that's why I think it it's re, it really is up to us to to make these small and quite big 
decisions yeah. and to keep practicing imperfectly at making the changes that really matter to us. Mm. I've, I am always thinking about my grandmother who um, was working from the age of 15. You know, she, my, my kind of extended family are from um, the northeast of England and my granddad's both worked down coal mines and, you know, my, my grandmother worked in a wallpaper factory. She was like the union leader and quite stroppy by all accounts. But um, <laughs> I still, you know, I still think about how smart she was and how her choices, um, she didn't have as many choices as I do. And so every time I do something like, you know, having left the corporate world or being able to go back and do a graduate degree, it's like, oh, I am taking my grandmothers with me. Yes. I'm really conscious of that. And I think every time we do something like allow ourselves to rest in the middle of the day or take time out to read or just do something for the joy of it rather yeah. than to meet some externally, you know, external idea of worthiness. I think that we heal those lines up. I always imagine my grandmother's kind of cheering me on um, and them also seeing, oh yes, that, you know, I don't have to do the same things that they did. Mm. It, was, it was all leading us to somewhere better. In the same way that I hope my nieces and nephews have even more choices than I yeah. do. Yeah. Thinking about space. So you talked about uh, your uh, diary not being overly filled. Mm. Um, and that makes me think about the way I structure my diary so that I begin to feel safe in spaciousness because space hasn't felt safe because it's been so unknown because my pattern, the conditioning that created my pattern has been to fill every pocket of space with something productive, which means that unless rest was earned yeah. unless rest was like I was recovering for some, from some a really hard day's graft having spaciousness to just be felt like it wasn't it wasn't for people like me definitely I don't know who it was for because I wouldn't even say but I particularly thought it was for wealthy white men or middle class stay-at-home mums or I literally didn't understand the concept of uh, spaciousness. I feel like I was so enamored with the idea of being resilient that I occupied space within resilience, never allowing that resilience to increase my capacity was fill the limited capacity I've got with as much resilience as possible because sass resilience gets quick results right and the world loves resilience oh my gosh strong women resilient women women, resourceful women yeah yeah like there is this very mixed message isn't there we both love and don't really like strong resourceful women um I hear you though, that sense of having to cultivate for yourself safety in the spaciousness, I so relate to that. One of the things I think that's really helped me is to reimagine what wealth means to me. Um, Like I've really, I I don't think I had a ton of money stuff. Um, I have grown up in a home where we didn't have a lot, but we didn't also, we, we didn't really want for too much. And it was kind of rammed into us that, you know, we left the UK so that you kids could grow up in New Zealand and have a better life. So it was kind of like, so you better bloody earn it. Yeah. It was that kind of messaging, <laughs> which was great. Thanks, folks. Um, but I do get, I, I do think that there is something for me about almost really wealthy people and that kind of largesse of wealth feels really uncomfortable to me I spent a lot of time when I worked 
um, I worked as a management consultant in the city and um, in parts of criminal justice, some of the upper ends of criminal justice with a lot of like very wealthy prosecution lawyers who are Oxbridge educated and the privilege and the kind of, um, they just took it for granted. Like it was like not in their wheelhouse to think about um, what it might be like to not live the life that they'd always lived. Like it was just so taken for granted. Mm -hmm. And that always felt really kind of uncomfortable to me. And as my business has grown and I've recognized, oh, when you are working for yourself and doing the kind of work we do, it's not really about time that equals money. It's actually about value. Yeah. Um, I've really been able to kind of change what is valuable to me and to start to see, and I'm now introducing spaciousness as part of that value proposition for me. You know, why am I here? What am I doing this for? Um, you know, I have so many like really values led um, desires that I want to fill. And that's great. But I also, you know, I love that we've been able to buy this 120 year old house and completely renovate it. Like, I'm so proud of us for doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm so proud of what our, my business allows my family to be able to do and plan for and all of that good stuff. But the financial rewards after a while, it kind of, I was sort of like, yeah, good. It, it really didn't have the staying power mm -hmm. that the values led stuff has had for me. And so now it's like, can I go? Because money's never the money, is it? It's the meaning. It really isn't. Yeah. And it's taken me a while to kind of get that, I think. Like I'm 10 years into this and I'm really just getting to grips with it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a slow learner. And, you know, part of this has been about choices. That feels really wealthy to me. Um, being able to like walk into a bookshop and buy half a dozen books and not have to worry about that. Things like, you know, if my car needs new tires, mm -hmm. being able to buy those without having to worry about where that's going to, money's going to come from. Um, you know, get the nice cheese at Waitrose. That's amazing to me. Yeah. And it, and that's great, but it's not really the, the driver that I thought it would be. It's not real. When I got to this income level, I thought I would feel very differently about money. And now I just... I kind of don't, it, it's quite odd, but thinking about wealth is much, when that gets expanded, to include rest, to include choices, um, it feels much more, I don't know, juicy, it does feel more um, expansive, and it, it's, it's just opening up different aspects of myself I've, I've spent the last couple of years um, training in uh, internal family systems therapy just um, in a kind of non-linear fashion and recognizing that oh there's a part of me that's super self-reliant and can get stuff done there's a part of me that really loves earning big money and then there's a part of me that doesn't really care about any of that and allowing those parts to coexist and to be all um very much part of me and um parts that I can just lean into when I need to mm -hmm. um has been really eye-opening and really healing to recognize that I'm I am not self-reliant I have abilities that allow me to be self-reliant but that is just a part of who I am and that is so freeing huge as you speak, uh, or as, as you were speaking, it make, made me think about the autonomic ladder. And it made me think about the autonomic ladder in the context. I was um, doing a uh, course with um, Deb Dana, who is, uh, so polyvagal theory is by Stephen Porges and Deb, Deb Dana, um, she's from a social work background and she does a lot of training that supports therapists, coaches, etc., lay people um integrate polyvagal theory so it informs their work and she was talking about recognizing 
where you default on the autonomic ladder. And um, so the autonomic ladder, you have, um, so you have the, um, at the very bottom of the ladder. So this was the first part of the nervous system that developed for us human mammals, which is the shutdown response. So um, it's like very extreme parasympathetic nervous system where you collapse. It's too much, you hide, you shrink, you, you, you're shut down, you're numb. You can't really, you just feel like you're dead inside kind of thing. Yes. Then there's the sympathetic nervous system, which is, I, I say it's like when you, when you rev the engine, it's, it's the get up and go, it's the fight or flight, or sometimes mm -hmm. trying to fight and flight at the same time, really scrappy, I can get this done, I'm gonna do this, I can pull it out of the bag. Then you've got the top of the autonomic ladder, which is the ventral part of the vagus nerve, which is safety, connection, being able to look at people and genuinely see their facial expressions, not your uh, perception because you're in a dysregulated state impacting what you're receiving from people, connecting with your environment and all that stuff. And I thought, wow, when I'm in fear, like I would have, I would have thought that my default is sympathetic nervous system activity because I can go, 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 go. And as I sat with it, I thought, no, actually my home is to shut down, is to retreat, to shut down, to internalize, to make myself wrong, to make myself small. But as a woman, I have learned the art of fawning. So the fawning is the caretaking, putting everybody first. And what I noticed my pattern is I would plummet into that shutdown and I would use sympathetic nervous system activity to allow me to fawn. And then I would feel really good because I was using how I helped people, how I impacted other people, even how I was received in the world, Enneagram type three, as a measure of my success. Then I'd be too tired, knackered, burnt out to be able to sustain it at that level. No one was asking me to. No one was requiring that of me, but it's, it's a, you know, a pact I made with myself. So then I'd feel utterly disappointed. I was not meeting, meeting my internal measures of success. And then I would crash back down again. And I would mistake that place of caretaking for ventral vagal connection, but it wasn't connection. It wasn't a transaction where I was looking at people to give me like for them to use their energy to give me something, but it was transactional in that I was using caretaking to buy moments of attention, not real connection. And then the irritability would kick in and the resentment and the frustration. I think that's what happens, isn't it? When we overgive, it taps into martyrdom. And the only way that we usually recognize that we're being kind of martyred, we're martyring ourselves for other people's needs is when we feel resentment. Resentment's an amazing emotion to feel. It's like, hey, pay some attention over here, please. And and I think, it, you know, to, to kind of um, bring a thread through of what we were talking about earlier about how often we shut down those emotions that feel uncomfortable to us. I think when we can pay attention to resentment and sadness and anger and uh, jealousy, mm -hmm. um, embarrassment, these are all emotions that actually offer us a way in to telling ourselves sometimes uncomfortable truths. But it is a real, I think a real act of love to, put, to tell ourselves the truth. Oh, Even if we just gosh. listen to those little whispers, this feels like resentment. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like nothing's gone wrong. It's just a difficult emotion to, to process sometimes. Very. And, and like you said earlier, it can often bring up memories of past experiences that were really hurtful or difficult, even traumatic. Mm-hmm. So part of our job, I think, is to kind of create that safety. Can I just feel this? Can I, 
just allow myself to name what I'm feeling. Mm. Yeah, and invariably behind my resentment was a little four-year-old Tamu whose heart was really, really hurting, not just because of whatever I was experiencing, or maybe more so because in the midst of what I was experiencing, having a very good idea that my four-year-old part of me was sitting down with a heart hurting, my adult self couldn't manage that, so kept telling her off, just wait, hold on, you're getting in the way, move out of the way, I'm doing this, can't you see I'm doing something really important? just wait. I know that your heart feels broken, but I'm going to sell this program. I'm going to make this money. I'm going to get this opportunity. And then Mm. you'll see we'll be okay. Mm. When none of that makes hide nor hair of difference to a small child that just needs somebody to look at it, never mind cuddle it. Well, and to be present with it, right? Like to actually be there in this moment. that's one of the things that I just feel like the last 10 years have been about me really learning to you know treat those needs and um, requests that my heart has of me as if I would be providing a glass of water to a thirsty child yeah like really honoring that and I thought I found that that is such a powerful way of um excuse me of bringing myself back to a kind of feeling of okay I'm okay I'm calm I can take care of myself not in a self-reliant hyperactive way but in a really compassionate way Mm. yeah lots and lots of resonance um Compassion's not something that was modelled during my childhood. I'm not surprised, given given how we grew up. I mean, mm. it, there was just no space for that, right? No Everyone was too busy doing stuff. Yeah. 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 Too busy doing. Sus, unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. But we can't. We, can we take can't it. go on all day. <laughs> We can take it to WhatsApp. We can take it to WhatsApp. But for the, for the people yeah. here, um, yeah, I, I, for me, this has felt like that, that, that glass of water that thirsty child needed. It feels like, yeah, mm. quenching something. So thank you so much for your openness. Thank you for your candor. For people that want to connect with you, for people that are interested in your offerings, the offerings you offer in between the space uh, you're creating yeah. how yeah. can people get in contact with you what have you got coming up um the best place to find me is instagram and i'm just at sasketherick on instagram and yeah come get to know me i i have a newsletter that i send out every couple of weeks i work specifically with um women identifying humans who have some self-doubt and um, I also mentor and train coaches and therapists and counsellors and mentors in uh, how to kind of hold space and really support clients who are impacted by self-doubt as well. So, um, yeah, come find me on Instagram and we'll take it from there. If you, if you can hang out for a while and if you like what you see, we can share more. Wonderful. Sass, thank you yeah. so much. Take good care. You're so welcome, love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Conversations from the Heart podcast. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. If you've resonated with what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you could rate, review and share my podcast with someone you think may benefit. If you're a social media user and have connected with what you've heard, I kindly ask you to share this episode and tag me at Live360. Like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms have a huge impact. Your feedback and shares will assist me in reaching a wider audience, and I'd really love to have more people sharing this experience and maybe feeling seen, 
heard and held by the conversations that flow from the heart. The personal development space is full of mindset tools, hacks and tips. And I think it's high time we have a place where we can just be as we are and perhaps learn something we can apply to how we live, love and work without there being an agenda other than allowing ourselves to be whole. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me that more people could benefit from tuning in. I welcome keeping the conversation going, so please do share your comments, observations, insights on the podcast show notes, social media posts, or anywhere else you see fit. Thank you for tuning in. The podcast was produced by me, Tammy Thomas, music produced by Sam Kaye.